Hey boys. Hope you had a good first day of school this week and that everybody is ready for bed. Brush your teeth, made a busy, jammies on. We're ready to read the story. The story tonight, the chapter is called Horse Thieves. One night at supper, Pa spoke hardly at all. He only answered questions. At last, Ma asked, Aren't you feeling well, Charles? I'm all right, Caroline, Pa answered. Then what's the matter? Ma demanded. Nothing, Pa said. Nothing to worry you about. Well, the fact is, the boys got word uh, to look out for horse thieves tonight. That's a high affair, said Ma. I hope you'll let him tend to that. Don't worry, Caroline, Pa said. Laura and Carrie looked at each other and then at Ma. After a moment, Ma said gently, I wish you'd, you'd out with it, Charles. Big Jerry's been in camp, Pa said. He's been here a week and now he's gone. The boys say he's in a, with a gang of horse thieves. They say every time Big Jerry visits a camp, the best horses are stolen after he leaves. They think he st stays just long enough to pick out the best teams and find out what stalls they're in. Then he comes back with his gang in the night and gets away with them in the dark. I always heard you can trust um, that man, Ma said. Ma did not like Indians, and she did not even... Yeah, and we'd... We would have been scalped down on the Vargas River if it hadn't been for that Indian, Pa said. We wouldn't have been in any danger of scalping if it hadn't been for the Indians, said Ma. Um, and she made the sound that came from remembering how the skunk skins they carried smelled. I don't think Jerry steals horses, Pa says, but Laura thought he said it as if he hoped that saying it would make it real. The real trouble is, he comes to camp after payday and wins all the boys' money playing poker. That's why some of them would be glad to shoot him. I wonder uh, I wonder how, how high allows it, said Ma. If there's anything as bad as drink, it's gambling. And they don't have to gamble if they don't want to, Caroline. Pa said, if Jerry wins their money... It's their own fault. There never was a kind-hearted man more than Big Jerry. He'd give his shirt off of his back. Look how he takes care of old Johnny. That's so, Mama, Ma admitted. Old Johnny was the water boss. He was a little weasened back, a bent-backed old Irishman. He had worked on the railroads all his life. And now he was too old to work, so the company had given him the job of carrying water to the men. Every morning and again after dinner, little old jo Johnny came to the well to
to fill his two large wooden water pails. When they were full, he set his wooden yoke across his shoulders, and stooping, he hooked into the pails the two hooks that hung from the short chains at each end of the yoke. Then, with a grunt and a groan, he straightened up, and the chains lifted the heavy pails from the ground, and Johnny steadied them with his hands while he bore their weight on his shoulders. He trotted under the weight with short, stiff steps. There was a tin dipper in each water pail, and when he got to the men working on the grade, Johnny would trot along the line so that any thirsty man could help himself to a drink of water without stopping work. Johnny was so old that he was little, stooped, and shrunken. His face was a mass of wrinkles, but his blue eyes twinkled cheerily, and he always trotted as quickly as he could, so that no thirsty man needed wait for a drink. One morning before breakfast, Big Jerry had come to the door and told Ma that old Johnny had been sick all night. He's so little and old, ma'am, Big Jerry said. The meals at the boarding shanty ain't agreeing with him. Would you give him a cup of hot tea and a bit of breakfast? Ma put several of her hot light biscuits on a plate beside them, and beside them she put fried mashed potato cake and a slice of crispy fried salt pork. Then she filled a little tin pail with hot tea and gave it all to Big Jerry. After breakfast, Pa went to the bunkhouse to see old Jer Johnny, and later he told Ma that Jerry had taken care of that po poor old man all night. Johnny said that Jerry had even spread his own blanket over him to keep him warm and gone without any covering himself in the cold. He couldn't take better care of his own father than he did that old Johnny, Pa said. For that matter, Caroline, I don't know but what we've been beholden to him ourselves. They all remembered how Big Jerry had come out of the prairie on his white horse when the strange man was following them and the sun was setting. Well, Pa said, getting up slowly, I've got to go set sell the boys ammunition for their guns. I hope Jerry doesn't come back to camp tonight. If he just rode up to the, see how old Johnny is, rode up in the stable to put up his horse in, they'd shoot him. Oh no, Charles. Surely they wouldn't do that, Ma exclaimed. Pa pulled on his hat. The one that's doing the most of the talking already killed one man, he said. He got off easy on a plea of self-defense, but he served a term in state prison, and Big Jerry cleaned him out last payday. Payday. He hasn't got the nerve to face Big Jerry, but he'll bushwhack him if he gets the chance. Pa went to the store, and Ma soberly began to clear the table while Laura washed the dishes. She thought of Big Jerry and his white horse. She had seen them many times galloping over the brown prairie. Big Jerry always wore a bright red shirt, and he was always bareheaded with his white horse, never wore a strap. The night was dark when Pa came from the store. He said that half a dozen men with loaded guns were lying in wait around the stable. It was bedtime, and 
There was not a light in the camp. The dark shanties low against the land could hardly be seen, only if you knew where to look. You could see them darker in the dark, and there was a little starshine on Silver Lake. And all around it stretched the black prairie, flat under the velvet dark sky, sparkling with stars. The wind whispered cold in the dark, and the grass rustled as if it were afraid. Laura looked and listened and hurried and shivered into the shanty again. Behind the curtain, Grace was sleeping, and Ma was helping Mary and Carrie to bed. Pa had hung up his hat and sat down on the bench, but he was not taking off his boots. He looked up when Laura came in, and then he got up and put on his coat. He buttoned it all the way up and turned up its collar so that the gray shirt did not show. Laura did not say a word. Pa put on his hat. Don't sit up for me, Caroline, he said cheerfully. Ma came from behind the curtain, but Pa was gone. She went out to the doorway and looked out, but Pa had disappeared into the darkness. After a minute, Ma turned around and said, Bedtime, Laura. Please, Ma, let me stay up too, Laura begged. I believe I won't go to bed, Ma said. Not for a while, anyway. I'm not sleepy. It's no use to go to bed when you're not sleepy. I'm not sleepy, Ma, said Laura. Ma turned the lamp and blew it out. She sat down on the rocky, hickory rocker that Pa had made for her in Indian Territory. Laura went softly to her on her bare feet across the ground and sat close beside Ma. They sat in the dark listening. Laura could hear a faint humming in her ears. It seemed to be the sound of her listening. She could hear Ma's breathing and slow breathing of Grace asleep and the faster breathing of Mary and Carrie lying awake behind the curtain. The curtain made a faint sound, moving a little in the air from the doorway. Outside the doorway there was an oblong sky of stars above the fairway dark edge of the land. Out there the wind sighed and the grass rustled and there was tiny ceaseless sound of little waves lapping on the lake shore. A sharp cry in the dark jerked all through Laura. She almost screamed. It was only the call of a wild goose lost from its flock. Wild geese answered it from the slough, and a quack of sleepy ducks rose. Ma, let me go out and find Pa, Laura whispered. Be quiet, Ma answered. You couldn't find Pa, and he didn't want you to. Be quiet and let Pa take care of himself. I want to, to do something. I'd rather do something, Laura said. So would I, said Ma. In the dark, her hand began to softly stroke Laura's head. The sun and the wind are drying your hair, Laura, Ma said. You must brush it more. You must brush your hair a hundred strokes every night before you go to bed. Yes, Ma, Laura whispered. I had lovely long hair when your pa and I were married, Ma said. I could sit on the braids. She did not say any more. She went on stroking Laura's rough hair while they listened for the sound of shooting. There was one shining large star by the back edge of the doorway. At the 
time went on, it moved. Slowly it moved from east to west, and more slowly till the smaller stars wheeled about it. Suddenly, Laura and Ma heard footsteps, and in an instant, the stars were blotted out. Pa was in the doorway. Laura jumped up, but Ma went on, went limp in the chair. Sitting up, Caroline, Pa said. Pshaw, you didn't need to do that. Everything's all right. How do you know that, Pa? Laura asked. How do you know that Big Jerry? Never mind, Flutter Budget. Pa stopped her cheerfully. Big Jerry's all right. He won't be coming into camp tonight. I won't be surprised, though, if he rode in this morning on his white horse. Now go to bed. Let's get what sleep we can before sunrise. Then Pa's great laugh rang out like bells. There'll be a sleepy bunch of men working the grade tomorrow. While Laura was undressing behind the curtain, and Pa was taking off his boots on the other side of it, he heard him say in his low voice to Ma, The best of it is, Caroline, there'll never be a horse stolen from Silver Lake Camp. Sure enough, early that morning, Laura saw Big Jerry riding by the shanty on his white horse. He hailed Pa at the store, and Pa waved at him. Then Big Jerry and the white horse galloped on toward where the men were working. There never was a horse stolen from Silver Lake Camp. That is awesome. The next chapter is called The Wonderful Afternoon. All right, boys. Sleep so well. I love you. Good night.